Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And we're just going to uh, break bread together this morning. And um, I just wanted to share with you, I was asking the Lord last week what he spoke to me about communion was about to tell the people about the disciples and how the disciples, when they were in that upper room having uh, the Last Supper with Jesus, that they were all ordinary people <laughs> like us. They had their struggles, I mean, some more than others. Je Judas betrayed Jesus. I don't think when, I don't think he had in mind that Jesus was going to be killed when he betrayed him for money. I think somehow he justified it because he loved Jesus, right? Peter loved Jesus, and then he denied him. In his most crucial moment when he was going to the cross, they all ran away. They were afraid. When, G when the soldiers came and got Jesus, they were afraid. And you know what they thought? A lot of them is... Jesus isn't the Messiah. They were afraid. They were waiting for Jesus to rise up like a king, like a warrior. And what God wanted us to know is that we, we do the same thing ourselves when we, uh, you know, we're Christians and we love God and we fail. And we fail every day. I can, I can testify. I fail every day. <laughs> I, I know there's not one day that there hasn't been a failure. Not one. But that is why Jesus went to the cross. It was that blood that he shed. His blood is strong enough for anything we've done or anything we would do. But what I felt like the Lord wanted me to speak about today was just to share with you about Peter. Because Peter loved God so much, right? He was the one disciple that, um, and you guys have watched The Chosen, right, Annie? You guys saw The Chosen, so you kind of have that. I love the visual they did of Peter and how he was just this rough guy and... But he loved Jesus. He loved him. But he denied him. He denied him at his most crucial moment. And it drove him crazy. It drove him crazy afterward. He was so guilt-ridden. But this is what Jesus wants us to know today. When he was sitting in that upper room and they were breaking bread together like we're going to do today, he knew all those weaknesses. He knew Peter was going to deny him. He knew what Judas was going to do. He even said, Judas, go do what you have to do to fulfill prophecy. He knew. Did it stop his love? Did it stop him going to the cross? 
Would he, he could have sat there and said, oh my gosh, I've spent three years with these guys and they're going to betray me and they're going to turn me over to, the, to be killed. He could have said, I'm not going to the cross. It took me three years to train these guys, <laughs> right? But he didn't. He knew all along, and he knows all along. He knows our story. He knows our life. He knows our struggles. He knows our victories. But he knows, he also knows our sin. And he went to that cross for us, right? So then Peter, when Peter, he came to Peter after the resurrection, they, after the resurrection, they thought that it was over. They thought it was over. Boys, you probably remember this story from Sunday school, that the disciples, they thought that Jesus had been killed. He was put in the tomb. It was all over with. And you know what Peter said out with his friends, the disciples, depressed, angry, guilty, sad, he said to them, come on, I'm going fishing. Because that's what he did. That was his career. That was his life, fishing. And what did Jesus say to him? Peter, follow me. I will make you fishers of men, right? Well, Peter was like, there's no hope. Come on, let's go fishing. And you know what all the disciples said? We're coming with you. Because they felt it was hopeless. How many times do we feel it's hopeless? How many times do we feel like there's no hope? How many times do we say, is Jesus real? Where is he? Where is he? He told me he'd be with me. He told me he'd never leave me. Where is he? When the pain comes, when the troubles start brewing, when we see people die, when we see people sick, when we see horrible things happening in this world and we say, where is he? Well, this is the good part of the story because the guys were out there fishing in their boat and they were casting their fishing rods or nets, nets on one side of the boat isn't that like us, right? We're casting the net. We're going to get those fish. We're going to go back to our own strength, right? We're going to do it our way because that's what we know and that's what we're comfortable with. We're going to do it our way. And every time they brought the nets in, guess what? No fish. No fish. Not only was Jesus not the Messiah in their mind, and they just wasted three years to follow some crazy guy, they couldn't even catch fish. Guess what happened? Do you guys remember? You boys, you've heard this story. So anyway, they're casting fish, and this is how I see it. They're casting fish, and they're like, oh, my goodness, we're going to just go in. And they, look, and they start to get ready to go in. And they see this person, this man, he's on the beach, and he started a fire. The fire's burning, right? And he's out there. 
And guess what he's cooking? What's he cooking, Jack? Do you remember? Do you remember Ephraim? Fish. You remember, Ali? Is he cooking fish? <laughs> well, they, all of a sudden, they hear him holler from the shore. And he says, cast your net on the other side. Can you imagine? Here these are professional fishermen all their life. They got some crazy guy on the shore cooking fish. And he hollers out to them, cast your net on the other side. But I think something supernatural. <laughs> Don't make me laugh, Julia. <laughs> I think something supernatural happened in that moment. Like they're hearing it, and this is what's going to happen. This is what happens to us. It's like all of a sudden we hear this word or this, this inner voice saying to us, cast your net on the other side. And you're like, what, what, what? And they're busy pulling their nets in. But all of a sudden, the mystery of Jesus takes place as it does and it will in your life. And this is what he's telling you this morning. This is his word for you this morning. Listen for that voice. Watch for that voice that says, cast your net on the other side. Because all of a sudden, I can see their faces. I can see it because he didn't just holler. Jesus is God. He is God's son. He is supernatural. He is powerful. When he speaks, it's not just words. And when he speaks to you, isn't going to be words. It's going to be transformational miracles, supernatural power. Jesus is the number one superhero. He's the number one superhero. And when he says, cast your net on the other side, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I think that was God. Have you ever had that happen? Like, <laughs> Well, you start listening and you'll hear it. You listen. And God will say, cast your net on the other side. And they looked at each other and they all of a sudden, you know what they did? What did we just sing? I surrender. They surrendered. They surrendered to that voice. That voice that they knew and then they recognized because Jesus said it and they I could see him now throwing those nets on the other side and pulling them in I believe at that point they had faith they had the faith they knew it was Jesus they had the faith and they pulled those in and there were so many fish Oliver that it broke the net they had so many fish that it broke the net. They say it was like enough money that they made in that trip that was like like a long time of income that they made just in that one fishing trip. And then they came in. They came into shore. Can you imagine? Like, let's imagine it. Like, this is Jesus to the rescue, this is Jesus to the rescue, and this is what he's telling us this morning. He is coming to the rescue. 
He is coming to the rescue. He's coming again, but he's coming to the rescue right now because we are in a place, and I've been telling you this, we're in a place, the enemy's rising up like a flood, like a flood. He's going to rise up, but guess what? Jesus is going to fill our nets, and we are going to rise up. His church is going to rise up, and we are going to have the victory. We are going to have the power when nobody else, when everybody else has empty nets because they've cast him on the wrong side. We are going to have the power of God to fight this fight that we're in, to win this war for Jesus, and to see as many people as we can come to the salvation knowledge, come to the knowledge that if you believe in Jesus and that he is God's son and that he raised from the dead and you follow him, you confess him, you follow him, you will be saved eternally, not just today or tomorrow, forever. But what he wants us to get ready for, guys, literally, you got to cast your net on the other side, okay? We cannot rely on what we know. We can't rely on what we're comfortable with. We can't rely on our own strength. We can't rely on our own checkbook. We can't rely on our own anything. We can't rely on our own family. We can't rely on our friends. We can only rely on the power and presence of Jesus. So, this is what they did. They went into shore, and Jesus had a fish fry <laughs> all ready for them. And they came in, and they sat around with him, and he fed them fish. And he was hungry. You know what that means? He wasn't a ghost. <laughs> he was Jesus in the flesh. And he was hungry. He wanted to eat. And he wanted to eat with them. And this morning, he wants to eat with us. This morning, he wants us to break bread. Like he told his disciples in the upper room, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. You have to if you want salvation. And so when we partake of the bread and the, we partake of the blood of Jesus, through the Holy Communion, koinonia, say koinonia. Koinonia is the Greek word for communion. Koin, let's say it again. Koinonia, okay? Lord, manifest that in our spirit this morning. The communion, the word koinonia was also used in the wedding suppers of the time of the Israelites where the man would give a glass of wine to his bride-to-be and it meant that they would be they were going to become one and this is what happens as we partake we become one with him we become his bride we surrender and so he fills us with his DNA supernaturally. He fills us with his blood through, flowing through our veins. This is a miracle of God. This is the miracle 
of God. It's a mystery that he's given us to empower us for the time that we're in and the time that we're coming into. He said, what did he say? Do this in remembrance of me. And anyway, we know the end of the story. The disciples were then empowered to go and to preach the gospel and to make disciples of men. That was the Great Commission. He sent them out. And so we know that they had the victory in Jesus. And think of it, 12 men, right, went out. And today the world knows who Jesus Christ is. And the world knows, not because of the 12 disciples, but because of the power that God put in to the 12 disciples. And one way was through the breaking of the bread. It was through communion. So this morning, we're going to partake together, and we are going to call on the Lord for supernatural power. Supernatural power to come on us and in us so that we can be empowered like the disciples to go out and to rescue this world, this last part of the world that we're in, to be the light on the hill. This is what we have to be, kids. We have to be the light of Jesus in our schools, right? You want to be the light of Jesus in your classroom. You want to show people the love of God. We got to be the light of Jesus in our workplace. We got to be the light of Jesus to our family, to this world. And this morning, God says, listen, listen for my voice, because I'm going to be telling you, cast your net, and I'll tell you where to cast it, right? So this is what his word is for this morning as we partake together. You want to get the elements? As we, as we get the elements and we, let's take a minute and pray and let's lift up anyone that we know this morning. His body was broken for our healing. As we partake of the body this morning, we are going to pray for anyone that we know or ourselves who need healing. And we are going to lift them up and we are going to believe by the power of God for their healing in Jesus' name. Father, you know those who are sick. You know those who need your healing touch this morning. God, it's not us, it's you. It's not us, it's your body. Father, we pray for the miracle power of healing to come on us this morning as we partake of this together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let's just take a minute and just think of anyone you know who needs prayer, and you can just mention their name. Just mention it, Father. Father, we pray, O oh God. We thank you for the body. Let's lift it up together to him. We thank you for your body that was broken for us, Lord. 
that was broken for our healing, and by your stripes we are healed. We thank you for the body, Jesus, that you gave for us. Let's partake together. Thank you, Lord, for the healing that is taking place. Thank you, Jesus, for the healing that is taking place, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Healing spirit, soul, and body, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. And then let's lift the blood. Let's lift the, the uh, wine, the blood of Jesus as we partake for the cleansing of our sin. Lord, that we will be cleansed in your holy name. And everything that you accomplished, Lord, on the cross for our victorious life here on this earth. We thank you, God, for the blood that you shed for us. Let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I just pray your blessing on each person here. I pray your blessing, the blessing of Holy Communion, the blessing of your body and your blood on our lives and in our lives. And may we use this, Lord, to glorify you, to give you glory and praise. Thank you, Jesus. And we look forward to the testimonies, the testimonies of those that will hear your voice will hear you telling them where to cast their nets. And Lord, we just praise you for that word this morning. You're a faithful father. We can trust you. We can trust your direction. And we thank you and everyone said, Amen. Before we take up an offering, Mom, can you come up? What? You. Yes, you. Because today's your birthday. And we're going to sing happy birthday to you. Come on. I got her. I got her. She's in good hands. Hi, right, everybody, we ready? I don't know how old I am. You're 91. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear mom. Happy birthday to you. And many more. Happy birthday, Mom, 91 years old. <laughs> Happy birthday. How old? 91. 91 and going strong. You turn it around and you're only 19. That's right. <laughs> Amen. All right, so we're going to take up an offering. Father, we just thank you and we praise you, Lord God, for your tithes and offering that you've brought in this place. We thank you, Lord God, for... 
Grace, <laughs> who is faithful. We thank you, Lord God, for each person here. Lord God, and the blessings that you have for them, Lord God, are beyond our even our, our own imaginations. Lord Jesus, the blessings that you have for us. Lord God, the unforetold blessings that come from your throne. Lord Jesus, that you have for your people, that you have for your servants. And we just thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. I give you all the praise and honor for all that you're doing and what you're going to do. And for the times that we live in, Lord God, I pray that you would keep us and protect us and watch over us. And we want to stay under the shelter of your wings. And Lord God, we do that by our giving, by our tithes. We do that by our life in obedience with you, by obeying your word and listening to your word and hearing your word. And we just pray this. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So today we celebrate mom's birthday, 91 years of age, the mother of this church building. We're so grateful and thankful, Lord God, that Lord, that she's with us and she's going to be with us for many, many years to come. Amen. Amen. But I want to share with you what I feel like what is happening in our world today and in our country But the first thing that I must say is that we're not just, you know, we've been saying that we're in a battle, we're in a battle, and, and we, you can see that we're in a battle. And the other day, it just came out when I saw Brian Scanlon, and he was telling us, Julie and I, all the struggles that he went through, and him and his family. And I said to him, Brian, we're in a war. And he looked at me, and he said, we are in a war. And we are. This is beyond a battle. This is a war. We are in a war, a spiritual war of, of, against good and evil. And it's not just battles here and there anymore. It's full-blown-out war against God's people. Amen? Against our families, against our children, against our land, against our nation, our elections, our rights as Christians. And it's against our faith. And I can go on and on and on. The enemy, our adversary, has many people doubting their faith in God. He does. And we've been seeing an exodus of people leaving the church. According to recent research, of the 210 million adults in the United States, 65 million of them who used to attend church on a regular basis no longer do. 2.7 million people leave the church every year. That's, do the math. Divide that by 365, and it's an astronomical number per day of the amount of people that are leaving the church. 30 million of the people that have left the church still say that they are still involved in some kind of Christian or um, outreach or something like that, but they're no longer attending. 35 million people have completely abandoned Jesus. 
That is absolutely astronomical. If you think about that, 35 million people have completely abandoned Jesus. You know, my question is why? And you know, the answer I'm going to tell you is in the Word. But I want to share with you our pastor, Tom McDonald, from Sword and the Spirit. He's gone on to be with the Lord, him and his wife, Mary Lou, who my wife and I have got to know dearly and have spent a lot of time with. You know, we used to enjoy our time out to dinner with them all the time. And we would talk about God and, and what's going on. And we actually were a huge part of literally building the church over there on Montrose Turnpike of Sword and the Spirit. Julie was a worship leader there. I led the men's group there. But we literally, I literally helped build that building with my own two hands in the middle of the winter time. And I'm, and I'm so glad that Tom thought that I would be a worthy person to help take over the general management of that whole construction of that building. You know? And, and uh, the last time I spent with Tom alone was literally we went to a men's retreat up in Quebec and we went to Montreal. You know, and, and I told Julie, I said, I really feel like the Lord wants me to be like a Timothy was to Paul, to Tom was, to, for Tom at that time. And I literally was debating, because we were busy with work at that time too, of being able to take off. Do you remember being able to take off that week? Took off a whole week to go with him to help him minister. And I took that job seriously. But we love Tom dearly. Man of faith of God that God spoke through and used. And I actually, Tom is the one who led me to the Lord right here in this church building. When I prayed the salvation prayer with him and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, it was through Tom's obedience that he reached out to me. And then I also was baptized in the Holy Spirit that same day. Just like last week, remember kids, when I had you guys up here, I couldn't say kids, but young adults, when we were up here, we were praying in tongues. How many of you guys went and prayed in tongues this week? All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. See, God's working and moving. Praying in tongues. But with Pastor Tom, he wrote a book, and this is what I want to get to. He wrote a book called The Separation, where the Lord lifted him up above the earth, where he saw the earth. And he saw on one side of the earth darkness, and the other side of the earth light. And, and it, when he was close to the earth, as he was being lifted up, he could see a gray period in between, where he would see people jumping from the light to darkness, and jumping from darkness to the light. But as he got farther and farther away from the earth, the separation became clear, and you could no longer jump to the, to the light, or you could no longer jump to the darkness. There was a clear separation. And I believe that it was a very prophetic dream or vision. It wasn't even a dream. It was a vision that he has, that God gave him of the end times and specifically of the times that we are in today. There is no doubt that you can see a clear separation between good and evil. There is no doubt. There is a straight line. People that are calling evil good and good evil, 
There's a, there's a total separation in the world. And even in our election, it's like almost 50-50. You know? A separation. And it's all prophetic. It's all been prophesied. I believe this is all happening right now in our midst. I believe what also is happening is it's one of the biblical signs or prophecies. This, you know, this mass exodus of the church, of people leaving the church, is a biblical sign. It is a prophetic word given by the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians. It's also a sign of how close we are to the second coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The exodus of the church is a massive sign that's being fulfilled right before our eyes. So if you have your scriptures, your Bibles, you can open up the second Thessalonians. Right? We want to go to second Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to start with verse 1. It says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, and what Paul is saying, being gathered to Him, he's talking about the rapture. He's talking about the gathering together of the saints. He says, Not to become easily unsettled or alarmed, by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. And you know, there are people that believe that, that the day of the Lord has already come and that we're living in the millennial reign. Well, let me tell you, if we're living in the millennial reign right now, if there are prof people profess that and believe that, then why are things so bad? Why is evil so rampant around the earth? If this is the millennial reign, then I don't want to be in it because it's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the millennial reign is that God will wipe away every tear. The lion will lie down with the lamb. There will be no more sickness or death. I don't know, but I see, I don't know how they can even under, believe that as a truth. It's false doctrine, it's a lie, it's a deception. It's the, it goes all the way back to the spirit of the Antichrist, period. It says, don't let anyone deceive you in a way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Well, what is the rebellion? The rebellion is the exodus of the people leaving the church. They're rebelling against sound doctrine. They're rebelling against the truth. Because what my wife says to me, and sorry to point you out, is that it's selfishness. It all goes back to selfishness. But it's true. People are selfish. They live, we live selfish lives. We want things done certain ways. And when things don't go that way, what do we do? We throw a temper tantrum like a little child that needs a whooping. <laughs> Basically. Don't let anyone deceive you. 
in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. So, so the rebellion is occurring. What's next to happen on the prophetic timeline? The man of lawlessness has to be revealed. So be looking for that. The man of lawlessness. It says that he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember these things, Paul says? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. So you know what he's saying right there? The secret power of lawlessness? That's the spirit of the Antichrist. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 6. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, against spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. That's who we are battling. We're not battling with each other. We're battling against the spirits of lawlessness, the spirit of the Antichrist that's in high places. These spirits have been around for 6,000 years and possibly longer. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the, how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays and power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. Understand that scripture right there. The devil will use all kinds of wonders, signs, displays, right? What does it say? He will use all sorts of displays or power through signs and wonders. In other words, he's going to be able to perform miracles, do signs and wonders. We read, what was it, this morning was it read or we heard that Elijah called down the fire from God? Well, Satan's going to be able to do these signs and wonders. And what's it going to do? It's going to deceive many. He's going to deceive many. And he's going to do it to serve the lie that he's been propagating and been seeding. You know, I'm going to read to you about the sower. Well, you know who's sowing seed to? Not just God, but the devil. It's sowing all kinds of seed. It's called propaganda. And he uses tools that man has put up in place. Because those tools that are meant to good are being used for evil. It says the coming of the lawlessness one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth, and so be saved. 
They perish because they refuse to love the truth. Why do they refuse to love the truth? Because they're selfish. Because they don't want to give up of anything of themselves. So what does God do? For that reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. You know what's amazing? The world not so long ago, people could not understand any of this. That's in the Bible and what I'm reading to you and teaching you right now today. Wasn't that long ago that the book of Revelation didn't make any sense to anybody. It wasn't that long ago that the writings of Paul made any sense because they couldn't understand it, because they couldn't see it, and they didn't have the vision that God gave them. And that God opened up their eyes. When you were, even ten years ago, talking about the woman riding the beast, the dragon, and all these other things, and that, you know, the four angels that are bound up in the Euphrates River, and that the Euphrates River was going to run dry because of the, it's going to make a pathway for the kings of the east. It wasn't that long ago that we were like, this would never happen, this could never happen. But think about it. Today, and it ha it's been happening, the Euphrates River is running dry. Why is the Euphrates River running dry? Because of Turkey, because of Syria. It goes through three nations, the Euphrates River. It's one of the only Bibles that's still in, it's one of the only rivers that's still in existence to this day that's in the Bible that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And it says that in the Euphrates River there are four angels that are bound. They're fallen angels that God cast down into the Euphrates River. And at the end days, the Euphrates River will run dry and those four angels will be released. Well, that is exactly what is happening today. That's happening today. And it's happening by a way of men, by building dams. They've been building dams to harness the power of the Euphrates rivers so that they can get electrical power for their nations, so that they can provide irrigation for their crops. So now the Euphrates is running dry. And now they've just discovered chambers under the Euphrates River that they cannot describe the voices that are coming out from these chambers. And they're all, everybody's scared and afraid of this. And rightfully so. Because the Bible says, the Revelation, the book of Revelation says that there are four angels, fallen angels that are bound that will be released in the end days. It's the, it's the sixth bowl of the Revelation that's going to be poured out. Don't believe me, believe the Bible. This is happening. It's happening because it says there's a 200 million man army that's going to march from the east and come against Jerusalem, come against Israel. It's the battle of Armageddon, the Gog and Magog battles. It's all ha This is happening right now in front of our eyes. This prophecy of the Exodus in 2 Thessalonians is happening, of the church right now. It's happening right now. When the Bible talks about the great falling away or the Euphrates drying up and the four angels bound under the Euphrates, we all, I mean, even myself, are thinking, well, they, 
John's speaking metaphorically. Like, I don't understand, you know, I couldn't under, you try to grasp all this stuff, and you can't grasp it. But now we understand it and we grasp it. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing what is going on in our time. We are living in the days of like, when the, when the prophets long to see the days of Jesus' birth. We are going to be part of the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And we're going to see him with our own eyes. Defeat the serpent. Amen? Matthew chapter 13, verses 11 through 30. Jesus says this. It says that he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. This is when his disciples were asking them, Lord, when is, when is all this, you know, what's going to happen here? It's the parable of the sower. He goes, why, he asked them, the disciples asked Jesus, why, why are you, why do you speak to your people in parables? Why does Jesus speak to people in parables? Why? Because the eyes of some have been opened, but not the eyes of all. And he says, because the knowledge of the secrets, the same thing, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been opened to some, but not to all. Whoever has will be given more, and who will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what, he, what they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. This is where I think we are as a culture, as a nation, as people around the world. Though they seeing, they do not see. Though they hear, they do not hear or understand. You know, we see these things happening and we understand because the kingdom of heaven has been open to us as believers. People who don't believe, they see these things happen and they don't think anything of it. They hear of things happening, but yet they don't understand it or they don't want to hear it or understand it because they don't want to change. They like where they're at. We've gotten to the place of complacency and comfort in our lives. And when are we going to get to the place? What's it going to take for us to become passionate believers for Christ again or become desperate enough where we have to have Christ Jesus and we have to hold on to him? What is it going to take for us to get to that place? What is it going to take for us for our eyes to be open so that we can see the truth right before us? What is it going to take for us, for our ears when we hear the truth, to be open, to understand it and know it? I'm afraid of what's coming upon the earth. I'm afraid for people that are just lukewarm Christians and they're not on fire for God or not passionate for Christ. I'm afraid for the shaking that's going to come because we need to have our foundations rebuilt. We need to go back to our foundations and shore them up. 
We need to make sure our cornerstones are set. We need to make sure our walls are straight and are strong. Because when things are going to come upon this earth that we don't understand or know, and these calamities take place, how are we going to be able to handle that? How are you going to handle it? If you are a lukewarm Christian, and all of a sudden you see asteroids fall out of the sky, and your whole world gets turned upside down, or earthquakes and famines, when you can't go to the grocery store and buy a loaf of bread because it costs so much money, we're seeing that happen right now. We're seeing the price of goods go skyrocketing. We're seeing inflation, close to hyperinflation. We're, they've been talking about how diesel fuel is going to run out. They've been talking about how fuel oil is going to be a shortage. How these power, what's it going to be like in the middle of wintertime when you're home and you go to turn on the power of electricity and it's not there? Because they decided to cut your power and divert it somewhere else. Because maybe of your, your um, political beliefs or religion. Or your area. Because you're rural and they don't really care about you anyways. Because you're not important to them. How are you going to be able to stand that? How are you going to be able to cope with that? You won't if you're in the world. But if you have a solid foundation in Christ Jesus, you will be able to stand that ground. You'll be able to stand through the storms that are going to come against us. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready. We need to be on fire and passionate. What did we hear this morning? No more playing church, right? We heard that. It's time to quit playing church and be the church. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing. Think about that. We'll be ever hearing, but not understanding. You will be ever seeing, but not perceiving. Verse 15. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And what does God say he would do? And I will heal them. I would heal them. See, God's will is not for one to perish. He loves us all. Even those that have a callous heart, it's not too late. He says it's not too late. If they would only see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, I would heal them. Not only would he heal them, but he would bring you in under the shelter of his arms where you're going to be able to stand on solid ground and be under his protection. That's the place where King David went. The king who was one of the greatest kings this world has ever seen that's the place where King David went all the time. That's the place that King David sang about throughout Psalms. Those are the places, the refuge that King David saw when his life was in pale or in whatever. Peril. Thank you, my love. But he says, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, 
many prophets. And he's talking to his disciples right here. He says, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. Can you imagine? I can just picture the apostles sitting around with Jesus when he asked, when is the end coming? When will, this, when will we know the end is near and your sucking coming comes back? And they're longing for that day to come. Even right to their deaths, they still long for that day of Jesus to come. They thought Jesus was coming quickly. Because in 70 AD, they saw the temple crumble to the ground, and Jesus said it. Now one stone of this temple will be left on top of itself. And they saw that in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed it and sacked Jerusalem. Blessed are your eyes, blessed are your ears. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. But did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, this is what happens. And you need to guard against this. The evil one comes. Right? And he snatches it. What was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. This is what the devil does. When you hear the word of God and you get excited about it. And you might be excited about it for just this day or tonight. But then the devil comes and pretty soon you walk away from it. And he snatches that seed from you. He keeps you from that harvest. Because he doesn't want to see you grow in God. He doesn't want to see that seed mature inside of you that he put there. The devil brings it in and he snatches it from you. He steals it from you. You need to declare and decree that you want that seed back. Amen. Listen to what the parable of the sword means. All right, so the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, that lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, here you go, here's another example. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. It falls away. We've got to be able to stand through the storms of life. Because I'm going to tell you, there are storms that we all go through. Every one of us is going to go through a storm. Those storms help strengthen your character. Those storms are meant there to make you stronger and to build your faith in Christ and to lean not on your own strengths, but to trust in God. Those storms are meant to make you a stronger Christian. They're going to test you. They're going to push you to your limits. Are you going to stand faithfully? Or are you going to get tossed to and fro by every wave and every doctrine? Are you going to be tossed to and fro in a boat like a ball going back and forth? Or are you going to stand your ground? 
Are you going to build your foundation? This is how you build your foundations in Christ. It's only going through trials and tribulations that make you a stronger person. If you never had trials or tribulations, tribulations, how are you going to react when they do come? You're going to panic. You're going to react. And that's exactly what the devil wants because he wants chaos to rule the day. He doesn't want you to stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> right? He wants you to running around like a chicken with your head cut off in a panic frenzy. And then, and, then, and then not even trusting on God, but trusting in yourself. Trusting on your own strength. Trusting on your own abilities. I mean, I, we have, all, everybody here has abilities. God-given abilities. And some of us, our abilities are stronger than others in certain areas of our lives. But even in our strength, we are so weak compared to God. We need him. We need him now more than ever. Amen? Amen. Amen. But since they have no root that lasts a short time, all right, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. The deceitfulness of wealth. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, making it unfruitful. The worries of life. It's almost like it paralyzes you. Right? And, and, and thinking that our wealth is going to help us out when it's not. Our wealth can't help us out, you know. We don't, we can't store up wealth because even the Bible says, you know, I had a call from a dear friend the other day, not too long ago, and he asked me, he goes, Chris, Chris, he goes, where are you putting your money? Where, 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 what are you doing with the money you have? And I said, I don't have any money. <laughs> he goes, are you investing your money in silver and gold? Because the stock markets are going to crash. You need to put money away. And I'm like, all my money is tied up in our business. All our money is tied up and invested in our business, in our home, and our family. I said, I don't have any money stored. I'm not storing money. I'm not hoarding money. And, you know, and I said this to my wife afterwards, and he, he pretty much stopped asking me questions at that point because I had no money to give him to invest. But I said to my wife afterwards, and I said, geez, you know, I know this dear brother in the Lord, and he, I know he means well. He's not that he doesn't mean well. He means well. He's trying to look after us in his own way. But it's like I, I told Julie, I said, you know, the, I've always thought in the scriptures it says, and this is the Bible, it says your silver and gold will save you not. So your silver and gold are not going to save you. They're not going to help you no matter how much you try to store up. It's not going to be, you know, what's going to happen when the Lord takes us away? Where's the silver and gold go? At that point, when we're all raptured and gone, what does it matter? It doesn't matter. It's gone. You know, our family's going to be gone. I'm praying and believing that our family's going to be raptured. So there's going to be nothing left to hand down to them. So where does it go? It goes back to the government. 
They seize your property. They seize your bank account. They seize what you had here on earth because there's nobody else to hand it to, right? Where's it going to go? They're going to take it. And they might even take it while we're still alive and it's ours. You never know what way this world's going. But if they come and take it, praise God, I'm not going to stop praising them. I'm not going to stop worshiping him because he's in control of our lives and our destiny as, as born-again believers of Christ. Amen? He says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. A hundred, thirty, sixty. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. I pray in Jesus' name that we are the seed that falls, that, that seed falls on fertile soil. And part of my job as pastor is to make sure that your heart is fertile for the word of God. To make sure you're prepared and ready. That you don't get caught off guard. And that the word of God that, that is preached out of this pulpit falls on soil that's been prepped. That's been cultivated. That's been built up. Amen? That's been worked. Because the most important thing out of our whole lives is our relationship with Christ Jesus. That's the most important thing. Doesn't matter. Money comes, money goes. Houses get built, houses get burned down. They get destroyed. You can build them again. Cars come and go. But our life with Christ are a one-time thing. You only get one shot. There's a rap song out like that. I think it's by Eminem, isn't it? You get one shot. I can't think of it, but I don't know. You only get one shot. If there isn't one, there should be one. All right. The great falling away is part of Bible prophecy. The man of lawlessness is the next thing that's coming. And I believe God is going to remove the person that's holding him back. Because the Bible says there is someone holding back the man of lawlessness right now. But with all these prophetic signs happening with the Euphrates River, with, uh, with the um, great falling away, it's, it could be tomorrow. They could announce, it could be a, some new leader that they're announcing that's gonna, that could be the man of lawlessness. Let me tell you something about the man of lawlessness. You know, you know everybody thinks of him as the devil. Wicked's going to have two horns, he's going to be a beast, right? The man of lawlessness is going to be, let's say, he's going to be loved by many. He's going to be promising peace. He's going to be a man who's an, who looks like an honorable man that everybody's going to look to. You know what the Bible says about Satan? It says that Satan 
was an angel of light. And he disguises himself as an angel of light. He's not going to be somebody up there. He's going he's to just demand his way, bam, bam, bam. But that will come. He's going to deceive many people at first. This man of lawlessness. You know, Jesus himself warned of how people will be deceived. He says it in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15. Matthew 24, verses 15 through 25. I want to read to you. It says, so, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Here you go. Pray that your ears are open. Pray that your eyes are seeing. When Jesus says, let the reader understand, I think he's trying to get our attention here. Amen? Amen. He said, let those that are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray, pray, pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. I just want to make a comment on that. That there will be distress on the earth unequaled to that even of the beginning of the world. Remember in the very beginning of the world that there was darkness over the face of the earth and God said let there be light and God said let the, let the you know, he divided the waters from the land. How dreadful it must have been in those days when God spoke all of that into existence. When he separated the land from the water, you're talking about a continental displacement like the world has never seen. He's creating with his mouth. And it's happening. Can you imagine the tsunamis, the earthquakes, the shifting, the rumbling, the rocks crumbling, the mountains forming? You wouldn't be able to even stand on the ground because everything would be going crazy. And he says in the end days, it's the, the, like the beginning of the world. It's unequal to what's coming. It says the distress, for then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to their Lord, look, here is the Messiah. There he is. Do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear, will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. That is what's happening right now. That is happening right now. There are false prophets out there false messiahs, false teachers that are teaching lies. And they are deceiving people. They're deceiving people. It 
And he even says, seeds that I have told you ahead of time. It says, I'm going to read a little bit further to 27. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. All of us will see Jesus coming. Remember, the devil is positioning himself and poses as an angel of light, and he will deceive many. He is deceiving many. What we need to do as a church is get back to some basic foundation teachings. What we need to do as a church is to, is to get discernment. As a, as, a, as a believer, we need to discern. Because there are so many people deceiving other people right now. But we, and it's hard to tell the truth and who's telling the truth because they're all saying they're telling the truth. We need discernment. We need godly discernment. Pray for it. Lord, I pray right now for discernment to follow your people here in this place and those that are hearing. We need discernment. We need to be watching. We need to be steadfast. That powerful delusion that God is sending upon his people that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians is what Jesus just told us in Matthew chapter 24. He said, chapter 24, verse 24, for false prophets, false teachers will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive even the elect. That means they're in the church, deceiving people in the church, even the elect. That's what Paul was saying. That, that strong delusion that God's going to send. You know, I always pondered and wondered, why would God send a strong delusion on his people? Why would he do that? Because their foundations weren't shored up. Because their foundations weren't squared. Because their foundations weren't strong. And their hearts weren't in the right places. Lord, I pray that our ears will hear and our eyes will see. That our hearts will not be callous. That, Lord, we would turn to you and that you would heal us and deliver us. You are our deliverer. You are coming as our deliverer. I wrote down here, remember, everything that glitters is in gold. Don't be fooled by fool's gold. Don't be fooled by fool's gold. It looks like gold, but it's not. You pass it through the refiner's fire and there's nothing left of it. Only pure gold will stand the refiner's fire. Only pure. 
And that's what we got to be as Christians. Because God's fire is going to refine us. And what's left is going to be pure and holy and separated for God. Amen? Amen. It's time to get back to the basics. I heard this this morning from (laughs) Cray Cray Trey Trey. (laughs) Trey Smith. Call him Cray Cray Trey Trey because he's got some wild teachings and they're really in-depth teachings. And it just, some of his teachings are mind-blowing and eye-opening. His insight that God's given him is pretty amazing. But it's kind of (laughs) crazy. But, in a crazy good. But he said, it's time for us to get back to the basic foundations again. It's time for us to get to the basic foundations of Christianity. Because When all these things happen, that's all we have left to stand on. We have to stand on that foundation that Christ has made for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that every word I've said today, Lord God, that's of you, Lord God, would seek into our hearts. Anything that's not of you, Lord God, I pray that it would just be washed away. Lord God, I pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit and your anointing. Lord God, upon your people today and upon your church and upon all those that are hearing this word, pray that you would bless them abundantly in Jesus' name. Help us and pray. We pray for the supernatural discernment, Lord God, of these times that we're living in so that when you say turn left, Lord God, we turn left or turn right or go straight or stop. Lord God, that we would obey you and we would listen to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.